This is the Yanks Go Yard Podcast with Adam Weinrib and Thomas Carinante. Welcome to the second episode of the week of the Yanks Go Yard Podcast live. Uh, it's not a Thursday edition. It's a Friday edition. It's a strange day. It's not when the podcast usually is, but does that matter? Is anybody mad? I don't feel like we're still giving you what you, what you asked for. If you're joining us live... On the feed on YouTube, we're usually live every Monday and Thursday at 2 o'clock Eastern. We'll switch that up during the regular season when we gotta. We'll be live whenever you need us. But this particular week, had a tough Thursday, bumped it to Friday, and oh, would you look at that, more news happened during our gap. The Yankees announced their spring training invites for this season. No massive surprises like there have been in the past. Remember when Jay Bruce and Derek Dietrich showed up? That was weird. But still some names to keep an eye on and some top prospects getting some well-deserved shine. Plus, the World Baseball Classic rosters are now official, and there are more Yankees playing than you might have thought. There were a couple of surprises there. And the San Francisco Giants are starting to speak out on losing out on Aaron Judge this offseason, and the comments are so strange that you feel like we made them up for comedic effect, but we didn't. That's actually what... The Giants are saying, and Toronto Blue Jays fans, are they the new Boston Red Sox fans? What a shit show this week. We're going to be talking very briefly about the way Toronto fans uh, are all up in their feelings. You're no longer, I know what it's like to be Joel Sherman and John Heyman after this week. You're not allowed uh, to criticize a deal or even uh, question a deal without a bunch of people telling you what's already happened in the future, which is interesting because the future hasn't happened yet. So we just don't know. Uh, make sure to find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Drop us a five-star review along with a mailbag question. We will be beyond happy to answer it. I am going to turn off NFL Network in the background because people right now are watching blurry television if you're watching live on the YouTube. Uh, and if you are, we welcome you. But if not, get the audio feed later on on any and all podcast platforms. Thomas Carinante, welcome to the podcast. I'll let you kick it off a little bit. What are you excited about this week? I'm, I'm mostly excited it's over and we can move on. We are that much closer to live baseball action. Pitchers and catchers report Thursday. We're less than a week in right now. Um, we got the Super Bowl to hold us over. Um, I don't know how many New Yorkers. Well, I mean, I, I guess New Yorkers, everyone's rooting for the Chiefs, right? It's, yeah. it's pretty. You, you got a rooting interest in this one. It's yeah. always more fun when either the team you love or the team you despise is in the big game. And uh, yeah. look at that. Uh, everyone spent the whole week yeah. going smoke up the Eagles' ass. Uh, Best front seven, you know, best O-line, best in the trenches. Uh, if this were 1984, they'd probably win the Super Bowl by a lot of points. But uh, the best quarterback, most talented quarterback in the history of the game is on the other side. So who knows? They could lose. Yeah, it's an interesting matchup. You have the Eagles, which they don't seem to have any holes. But then you have the Chiefs, who were pretty much just as good with and – they, and they got worse. They got worse – technically got worse over the offseason. Um and they managed to piece it together uh, a little bit of fortune in that AFC championship game. But I mean, the NFL wrote the script, so don't blame them. Don't, I mean, don't blame us. Don't blame the guy who committed the penalty. He was, he was literally programmed to do that. So what are you going to do? Um, that should be a great game though. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, and then we'll head into next week. We'll have some good content probably with the pitchers and the catchers uh, arriving in Tampa. Yeah, I think we will. I think we will. How about the equipment? The equipment arrived this week. We didn't do a post on that. It's in the Brian best Hoke. of its life. Brian Hoke standing behind the truck, uh, letting us know it's all being unloaded. We're really getting ready. We're getting there. And you can't even believe that it's already here because 
it feels like the Yankees ruined your life much, much sooner than October. Uh, the, I think the loss to the Astros still stings. And especially we talked about it last podcast with Brian Cashman coming out and talking about it. Um, Ben Verlander did a segment on it. I mean, come on, everybody just, I need the season to start. So we don't have to, I need the season to start. I need Brian Cashman to not talk. I need the rotation to pitch like it's supposed to. And I need either Josh Donaldson to be an average hitter, or we need a new third baseman. And I need left field to sort itself out. Um, and then I think we'll be in a good spot. I just want more consistency this year across the board. We talked about it last night. Um, don't want to get off to a record-setting pace and then shit the bed in August and September. No. But we'll get a preview of what's happening over the next couple of weeks. We have spring training invites. We just dropped, uh, what was it, yesterday? Or was it Wednesday? I don't even know at this point. Um, and I kind of like what I'm seeing here. Yes. Um, especially for um, – I guess the competition that we're all looking for in left field. Um, Elijah Dunham got the invite. Mm-hmm. I think that's somebody who could force the issue. I know he's still a little bit ways away, but again, you never know. I think Austin Wells can turn some heads if his bat starts to heat up. Uh, you talked about that earlier this offseason as a, uh, as I guess uh, the unorthodox solution. Yeah. In the, event the Yankees wanted to, because, look, the Yankees are always fine with sacrificing defense. They put players out of position all the time. What difference is it going to make if Austin Wells plays some left field? He's That's why it's so annoying they didn't sign Kyle Schwarber because they've loved yeah. Kyle Schwarber forever. And yep. the Red Sox get to the ALCS wedging him in at first base. He's laughable. Yeah. Like, literally, he makes an error in the playoffs and then, like, records the final out of an inning and Fenway Park serenades him with laughter because it's like you didn't make an error huh? and they made it all the way to game six of the ALCS. They let him go. The Yankees have loved him forever. And it's like positional fit. Who cares? Put him in left field, put him at DH, put him at first base, whatever you want to do. And they're like, no, this is the first time we're going to pass we're, we've wanted him forever. And now we're going to pass. And he basically single-handedly, uh, you know, the Phillies already had Bryce Harper and it wasn't yeah. enough. And they add Kyle Schwarber changes that clubhouse, gets them over the gets them over the hump. So the Yankees already have Aaron Judge. It hasn't been enough. Kyle Schwarber might have gotten them over the hump, but we'll never know. We will never, never know. Um, that would have been fucking cool, though, if we had him. Anyway, in terms of the outfield as well, Jason Dominguez, I guess, was a surprise invite. I don't know if you would deem that a surprise. Yeah. Um, I guess the way he ended last year was pretty impressive. He helped the AA Patriots – all the way to the, all through the playoffs and into the championship. So I think that warrants, I think that warrants a call. Um, and then of course you have Anthony Volpe, who's going to be competing for starting shortstop reps with Oswald Peraza. I think that if the Yankees are going to be bold and Volpe has a really good spring, we could be looking at an interesting situation. John Morosi talked about how the return of DJ LeMahieu could potentially squeeze out Glaber Torres, but what if you have the return of DJ LeMahieu and the fast ascension of Anthony Volpe? Then what is that going to do? Is that going to force you to trade two people? I don't know. Do you package do you package one of Hicks and Donaldson with Glaber in a trade with somebody else and hope that you can get a little bit of salary relief and then you clear up some spots? I don't know. We see spring training deals happen all the time. I know last year was a little bit of a different story with the lockout, but the Yankees made that stupid blockbuster like 
really not too far from opening day. So with the trade market still not really materializing up until this point, I think that once spring training arrives, teams start to see what they have, maybe with their top prospects that they want to make an impression, but maybe don't. Injuries always happen, guys. That's the reality of it. That's going to change the trade market. Um, or just in general, if the team feels like they need a boost after looking at, you know, the offseason picture and now seeing some of it in practice, uh, I don't know what's going to happen. But I think that this is kind of this is one of the more exciting spring trainings in recent memory because there is going to be competition here and there are going to be a lot of storylines to follow. You wonder how much run Dominguez is going to get, but yeah. like probably a lot. Uh, I mean, a good deal. He, he's not going to start any of these games, but he, he better come in in the sixth inning of most of these. Um, yeah, a couple of veteran refreshers on this list too, guys who were not just signed, but guys who you were still probably like, oh, I, uh, I forgot about him, but it, it'll be nice to yeah. see him. Uh, they, they've, uh, they brought in, uh, Ortega, obviously who we've talked about and he's going to get a good shot at it. Uh, I'm trying to pull them all up now. I'm an idiot and I don't have them, but I mean, Dominguez and, and Dunham are, are the ones. Willie uh, Calhoun. Willie Calhoun will be there. Uh, Chaparro will be there after he's survived, uh, you know, the offseason roster shuffle. Uh, a lot of people expected him to be a guy who was stolen in the Rule 5 draft and somehow uh, was not and managed to get hated on by Keith Law, uh, mm. which, uh, you know, Keith Law is just trying to speak truth, right? You know, he's a prospect evaluator. He's not in it to not hurt anybody's feelings, uh, whatever, and I get that. But he, he wrote in his Yankees top prospects list, he, he left Chaparro out of the top 20 and said, he was 50 pounds overweight and couldn't see a way that he could contribute at the big league level. And Chaparro tweeted about him was like, Hey, some people's bodies are built different. Like, I don't really know what to say about that, but I show up every day and I hit bombs and it's like, yeah, I don't really want you to talk about that either, but it's keep laws job to evaluate fairly. And if it's worked so far, I don't know why it's keep laws job to be like, yeah, he's overweight. So I can't imagine him staying healthy. It's like, well, he's mostly stayed healthy the last couple of years while also having some of the highest exit velocities in the minors. He, is the only player at the double-A level with his level of isolated slugging this year and a K percentage as low as his. It was like 300 and below the 20% threshold. Mm. Uh, I wrote about that. That's going up today. But, yeah, I, I'd like to see him too. And then Wilmer Defoe, Billy McKinney's back. Ian Hamilton, the minor league pitcher who we wrote about last week. Uh, DJ Snelton, just learned he existed. Uh, that was one that was floating around this week. Did you know we signed DJ Snelton? I did not. Uh, 30-year-old man <laughs> it's, uh, has not – his last minor league st- – what year do you think DJ Snelton's last minor league statistics came from? Uh, 2016. 18. Uh, he was 3-3 three and three with a 4.980 ERA, 45 Ks in 47 innings at AAA, uh, 1.70 whip. That's uh, quite bad. Uh, and that's a, if you want to, in the past, the signings have been Jay Bruce and you've been like, Oh my God, Jay Bruce. I remember him. And this year it's DJ Snelton. And it's like, I not only don't remember him, but I am not encouraged by his presence at all. Uh, so you can almost discount that, but Dominguez closed the year. Strangely. Uh, he closed the year with his absolute best moment and his absolute worst. Uh, he goes up to double a Somerset. For the playoffs specifically, gets five games at the end of the season worth of run before the postseason begins. Hits a homer, walks three times, but hits 105 in 19 at-bats. Basically contributes nothing. Flip the switch to the postseason, a title run. Somerset uh, with an all-time blowout win and a no-hitter to clinch that championship. And Dominguez's playoffs, 
five games long, gets 20 more at-bats, nine hits, a double, three homers, 10 ribs, five walks, and six Ks, 450 with a 560 OBP, 950 slugging, and a 1510 OPS. And then he goes to the Arizona Fall League, and he looks tired, and he looks a step slow, and he looks sluggish, okay. and he gets he gets Randy Miller writing about him saying, ooh, still not putting forth the effort. Like, Randy <laughs> Miller either hates him or caught him in May and October, the two worst possible times. It was like, yep, not seeing it, seeing him jogging. Uh, but he had an incredible <laughs> postseason with the Somerset Patriots. And I hope he gets some run against some big league pitching uh, this spring. Although, yeah, I don't foresee him starting many of these games. No. If you remember, Volpe didn't do much last year or get a great shot either your first spring training you're not supposed to make the team you're also supposed to be seen and not heard uh, i don't think jason dominguez he might take the requisite you know volpe took the pictures with judge and stan last year dominguez might do that too uh but i hope he gets a shot uh to at least face one or two bona fide major leaguers and he doesn't just get a week and a half up there against the detroit tigers eighth stringers and get sent back to minor league camp yeah he i mean look guys uh he played 57 games in his debut season in 2021 and he was 18 years old this year that more than doubled to 120 games in the regular season in his age 19 season. And he added 20 games at the Arizona fall league. So he played 140 games this year, understandable that he looked bad when the competition elevated what times five, because the Arizona fall league is usually the best five or six prospects from every single team or the 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 next tier because sometimes teams don't send their absolute best because they know hey we don't want you risking getting hurt we're just gonna we'll have you in at spring training or it's like 25 year olds like yeah it's a couple of things it's either like yeah. tippy top prospects or adult men who are like <laughs> trying to learn a new pitch or, or this is their last chance to shine before they officially become organizational fodder and dominguez is 20 after his first full season in the minors uh, stateside trying to get those last reps in and he looks sluggish and, and not so great, but he had just popped off in the double a playoffs. So anyone saying like, ah, he's lost it. Oh, he doesn't have it. Like you, your evidence was from like a week and a half ago that he does have something. Uh, so I'm excited. I'm excited to see what he's got. Yeah. Look, I think it's, I think it's the right aggressive call by the Yankees. Like you said, he's not going to be getting a whole lot of run. You like to have somebody who you figure to be a future of the organization in with this core of players who figure to be here for a while. Aaron Judge is here for a long time. Someone like DJ LeMay, who's probably here for a long time. Um, if he's there with his peers as well, Volpe, Elijah Dunham, Oswald Peraza, Oswaldo Cabrera, it helps. It helps with the development. It helps with the chemistry and all of that. So um, you can't dispute his first full season as a professional because you're not going to count 2021. 57 games is not a full season. 120 games, 273 average, 837 OPS, 16 homers, 59 RBI, 37 stolen bases. First professional season. He was playing on random dirt fields in – is he Dominican? Yeah. Yeah, in the Dominican Republic. We saw all those videos in the random fields of him hitting batting practice. He was hitting, he was hitting piss missiles, but didn't mean anything until he played in an actual game against actual talent, and he's – yeah, he might not be Mike Trout right now, but that's an impressive first season to me uh, as a 19-year-old. And he should be exposed to the big league, you know, the, the big league uh, vibes and setting and all that because that's only going to help his development. Um, who else are we excited about here? Uh, 
I do like Chaparro, cool guy. Um, I think maybe is there is there one other person here that we thought might be might force? Oh, Josh Bro, how could we forget about him? I know that he's he's not exactly anyone who I guess there are high expectations around, but he's been in the Yankee system for a while. He's been good, um, and you just never know. Maybe he plays really well and becomes a trade piece at some point. Maybe he plays really well and as time goes on, squeezes out Kyle Higashioka, depending on how he performs in 2023, because honestly his last two seasons haven't been that great. Um, Just things to look ahead for, because there's going to be changes. The opening day roster is never what you see even at mid season. Um, So I like the group that they have here. I like how it's going to foster competition and I like how it's going to get these young guys, the exposure that they need and deserve. Agreed. Uh, and speaking of Kyle Higashioka, who may be on his way out of having much relevance in the Bronx, yeah. if Ben Rortvet wants to be a guy, let Ben Rortvet be a guy, but so far, uh, no good. Uh, apparently, Kyle Higashioka is the second member of the Yankees contingent going to represent Team USA in the World Baseball Classic. We did not know this. Uh, we also did not know Glaber Torres would be there, and we certainly did not know that Jonathan Loizaga would be representing his home country of hey. Nicaragua. I don't know how long Nicaragua is going to last. There are some powerhouse yeah. rosters in the World Baseball Classic. But did this surprise you at all? Obviously, the Yankees forbid Glaber from playing winter ball earlier yeah. this offseason before relenting and uh, switching back and allowing him to do that. They did block Luis Severino from pitching. That makes total sense. But it's not like Loisaga has not been an injury risk in the past, too. Uh, so I guess they're less concerned about building up a reliever than building up a starter, or or they figure relievers are interchangeable enough. Maybe it'll actually help him, considering he showed up last year not looking like himself yeah. and struggled through the first month and a half, had shoulder stiffness, was in and out for the entire season, but was great in October once he got hot. Maybe they think Loisaga is a different case, and they feel like, you know, he's better with more ramp up and they want the real version of Loisaga by the time the season rolls around and they don't want uh, him still finding his footing when he gets to camp. Or maybe they just want to maintain that relationship more than they want to maintain the relationship with Severino. Uh, what say you and how did Kyle Agashioka end up as the backup catcher on Team USA? Uh, Mike Zanino didn't want to play. Uh Cal Raleigh isn't on this team, is he? I don't think I, I got to pull up the World Baseball Classic roster, but it feels like the USA rotation is question mark. The USA lineup is incredible. And then I don't know how Kyle Ashioka, like Nestor fighting his way into the rotation. It's like, well, yeah, because a lot of people aren't on that roster. But Higgy is a backup catcher. I don't know about that. Good for him. I don't know about it either, but he's there and it's going to be fun. It's going to be fun for everybody involved. He's going to get some reps. Uh, maybe it helps him get off to a faster start. Um, or, but then again, last spring training, he was Barry Bonds and then he fell off the face of the earth when the season started. Um, as for the other two cases, I am in support of both of them. I think at this point, um, the Yankees and Glaber Torres have pissed each other off enough. I don't think we need any more animosity there. And I think it's a bit different than the Severino situation because like we talked about last time, um, Severino needs the Yankees this year and the Yankees need Severino. He needs to perform in order to get the free agent contract. The Yankees need him to perform and be healthy in order to get to where they need to be um, from a world series contender standpoint. So I think that's a bit of an isolated situation for Glaber. You have 
all the other things, right? The switch to shortstop, the disappearing offense, the comments about not being in shape, the being dangled at the trade deadline, obviously having that affect him, the eventual move back to second base and admitting that he was not a shortstop and he was always a better second baseman, um, all idiotic stuff. And then, look, I think there's blame to be placed on Glaber. There's been hustle issues with him, well-documented. Aaron Boone even said it after one of the games. I think it was in 2021. Um, we saw a couple of instances of it this past season with body language and all that crap. I understand it happens. I know being an athlete, especially in the New York market, is tough. But uh, this is the one place you can't do it because it's going to be under a microscope. It's going to be all over the friggin' news. You're going to be a meme on Twitter. It's going to be involved in the most toxic discussions on the web. So um, Glaber certainly has not helped his case and the Yankees haven't done him the greatest of favors. And I, I think it's fair to admit both of those things. Um, so letting him play in the WBC, I think is good for everybody. Once again, his bat needs to get back on track. He's not really an injury prone player. So that's someone you're not going to be concerned with getting, getting hurt. Um, you'd rather see him, get those reps against Like you said, some of these rosters are frigging stacked, man. If they, I don't know what group they're in, but you run into a team like the Dominican Republic, Japan, yeah. frigging good. Like USA is good. Um, uh, team Italy. We can't forget. Uh, they got, they got all the guys. Um, but I think Glaber getting the early reps, having some sort of camaraderie early on and, and maybe getting maybe a clean slate, you know, Get, get, get away from the Yankees for a little bit, be with your countrymen, have a good time, get back to spring training, feel good. As for Loisaga, I'm also greatly in support of this. Loisaga has had one year where he found his stuff consistently. Every other year has been a question mark, in my opinion. Um, closer in waiting, the, that was that term was thrown around. We threw it around uh, in 2021. Um, uh, that's certainly not – Michael King at this point is closer to being – being the closer of the future than Jonathan Loisega is. Um, and, as, you know, once again, comparing him to Severino, the innings load on a starter, someone like Severino who's injury prone, is much more serious than giving Jonathan Loisega what? How much is he going to pitch? In the, the World Baseball Classic is two weeks long. Might pitch every other day. Might have a scenario where he pitches a couple of back-to-backs. It's going to be a few high-leverage innings on his arm. I don't think it's going to do anything poorly for him. I know he's dealt with injuries, but you saw the slow start he got off to last year. The Yankees probably want to avoid that. Um, and you know Jonathan Loisega loves his home country of Nicaragua. He's sending us photos of him on the friggin' farm there with the bulls and the cows. It's awesome. I think that there's the passion there, and the Yankees don't want to disrupt that as well. Um, and from a workload standpoint, it's it's just not going to do that much to him. I think the Yankees want him to get off to a fast start. And then if they have to manage him throughout the season in terms of a uh, innings limit or whatever, or phantom IL stint, it'll be easier for them to do so. If he has, I'll be generous and say 10 extra innings on his arm from March 8th to March. You know, again, they might be an early exit. So he might only get two or three innings on his arm um, for a team like the Dominican Republic for Luis Severino. That team is probably going to go all the way to, that team's probably going to the finals. So then you're looking at a situation where if they're in the finals, they're going in all hands on deck situation with the starting pitching and Severino is going to maybe throw on short rest and if throw multiple innings, that's what they wanted to avoid. So uh, I think they plan this fairly strategically and um, shrewdly. 
I kind of agree with all of it. I don't, I don't, I don't object to any of it. And I'm glad that, um, I'm glad that uh, it's not going to mostly I'm glad that the relationship with Glaber is not going to get any worse because um, that clearly gets in his head and it's clearly affected the Yankees ability to get to where they needed to be over the last couple of years. Yeah. And it's not like Loisaga would not be pitching high leverage innings at spring training. Yeah. If you were at spring training, I mean, he would be ramping up at the same time. It's just, mm. it's a slight difference for a reliever. It's not quite as intense as a starter. Higashioka is the third stringer uh, at catcher behind Will Smith and JT Real Muto. Feels like they kind of wanted a warm body there. Like, I don't think your third string catcher, it's an emergency catcher, basically. And they weren't going to convince somebody like Cal Raleigh to come down and be the third string catcher in the WBC. I get that. The Mariners also told Luis Castillo no. So maybe they told him no. I don't know. Higashioka is a pretty innocent mover and that would also open up some reps in Yankee spring training for Carlos Narvaez who we wrote about yeah. yesterday who had the uh, highest caught stealing percentage of any Yankee catcher in the minors now before we move on I just want to read the Dominican Republic roster because you're, <laughs> you're thinking like oh it's got to be great it's it's greater than great it's fucking insane uh the USA roster is great uh no notes a lot of the people I'd want to see there are there Pitching staff leaves you, you know, something to be desired. But the, the the Dominican roster behind the plate, Francisco Mejia from the Rays and Gary Sanchez. Oh, we got him. These guys stink. Uh, you know, it's an easy catcher. I mean, you can't. You got to do better than that. Uh, infield: Willie Adamas, Robinson Cano, Rafael Devers, Wander Franco, Vlad Jr., Manny Machado, Cattell Marte, Jeremy Pena, Gene Segura, Nelson Cruz. Who plays? Who is in the lineup? That is absurd. Robinson Cano, borderline coach at this point. But Devers, Franco, Adamas, Guerrero sounds like a pretty good foursome. Machado on the bench. Cattell Marte on the bench. World Series MVP on the bench. I don't know, folks. Outfield, Teoscar Hernandez, Eloy Jimenez, Julio Rodriguez, Juan Soto. Oh, yeah, great. That unit's terrible. Uh, and then on the mound, Sandy Alcantara. World Series no-hitter throwing. Uh, Astros pitcher Christian Javier. And Rowanzi Contreras and Johnny Cueto. Uh, Camilo Duvall in the bullpen, Hector Neris in the bullpen, Gregory Soto in the bullpen, Rafael Montero, Brian Abreu from the Astros in the bullpen. Uh, You might be able to get their catcher out. You might be able to get their, get to their three starter. If Rowanzi Contreras is erratic or if Johnny Cueto is having an off day, you might, you might be able to do that, but you're not going to retire that lineup successfully. You're not going to get to the bullpen. That team is is the dream team. Is Jordan Pippen, Barkley, uh, and they left. I don't know what the equivalent of leaving Isaiah Thomas at home is. Like, feels like every Dominican super. I guess Luis Severino is uh, Isaiah Thomas in this scenario. But hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully, Sevi gets a ring after this team does win the World Baseball Classic. Not might win the World Baseball Classic. They're going to win the World Baseball Classic. That lineup is dumb. Awesome. Uh, and, I mean, Venezuela's is pretty good, too. But that is, that's that's a literal MLB All-Star lineup. Um, it's, it's better. It's yeah. better than most All-Star lineups. Because yeah. every All-Star team at least has a guy where you're like, really, Mark Loretta? That does not have a single one of those <laughs> I love it. I, I that's that that. I, what are the odds? They're probably like plus two hundred or something. I mean, yeah. 
they got to be, it's, yeah, I, I think it's them, Japan, the U.S. at this point. Like, I don't think anybody else stands above the rest, but yeah, I mean, you never know. Baseball is baseball. You never know. And, yeah. and again, maybe Israel Rowan, won three games the last baseball, World Baseball Classic. Maybe Rowanzi Contreras isn't good. Maybe Cueto is shot. Maybe they have two starting pitchers. Maybe Alcantara doesn't want to go deep. Like, I don't know. But that lineup is absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, speaking of ridiculousness, uh, we had a situation where – Giants players were talking about the offseason, how things turned out. Um, obviously, it took them maybe a while to really open up about it because that was a rough offseason for Giants fans. Yes. Uh, you miss out on Aaron Judge in the beginning after he was like, it was seemingly between you and the Yankees and all it was going to take was a bigger offer than the Yankees. Turns out Judge cared about more about, Judge cared more about his legacy. Um, you missed out on Carlos Correa and there was no acquiescing after – the failed physical um, the Mets just swooped in, took care of business and the giants had no choice, but to move on um, giants missed out on Trey Turner. I don't think that one was as aggressive as the other two, but um, they were interested and they obviously didn't get a deal done. So they had all this money to spend. It ended up going to who Michael Conforto, Mitch Hanniger, Ross Stripling, Sean Manaya, um, Taylor Rogers, so it's a it's a middling roster at this point. It's I don't know if they're better than I don't know if they're better than 80, 84 wins. No Dominican like. Republic, I'll tell you that much right now. <laughs> I don't know if they're better than that. Uh, they are a fringe wild card team at their absolute best. I don't know if they can even. There is no chance, in my opinion, that they can compete with the Dodgers or the Padres um, in the NL West. Um, so Logan Webb talked about specifically missing out on Aaron Judge. Um, Correa was in there too as part of the discussion. And he said that a lot. So they had the big meeting with Judge. The Giants brought in some players. Logan Webb was one of them. They made it all intimate. They tried to, you know, they, they did their pitch. They had Giants people in the organization of past and present try to sway Judge. In the end, I think we can all agree that Judge fooled the Giants. Judge went out there to the one suitor that he knew he had, took a serious meeting, played the role of a free agent, got them on board, then went back to the Yankees and said, here's what they're offering me. This is what I want. I value my legacy more. Just give me the money. And Hal Steinbrenner from his Italian villa said, sign the check. I'm getting it done. <laughs> I'll have another. Um <laughs> Logan Webb said that that the Aaron Judge ultimately re-signing with the Yankees had the Giants players feeling butthurt about, you know, the, the that's what he said. That's what he actually hurt. said. He the said He said we felt butthurt. I just think it's important. Like I don't like that term. Yeah, uh, it's something that like a, a, a it's high school term, thing. Something that a crasser podcast would say. Like, oh, Logan Webb's butthurt. Logan Webb said, "quote I felt butthurt by Aaron Judge." That's what he said out loud. Yeah, a very and that's why it's a very amateur insult, um, low hanging fruit insult. So when you hear it coming from us, just know we're a little bit more sophisticated than that. This is a direct quote from Logan Webb. I think he said it via the San Francisco Chronicle, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I was surprised to see it. I think that uh, it's pretty nuts how we were frustrated in the beginning because. We heard the rumors of right the Yankees offering like 320 million, and then like nothing really got done, and Judge was still on his free agency tour or whatever. 
Um, and then it really seemed like it was a tour, right? It was contrived. John Morosi spotted him in the hotel, followed him around. Hey, Aaron, what are you doing here, buddy? Just home for the holidays, John. Just hanging out. Going to a meeting with the Giants. We all knew it was happening. Smirk on his face, and you're sitting there, and you're like, really? Come on, man. Can't this just be easier? Couldn't have the Yankees just agreed to an extension in the offseason? Why did we have to get to this point? But you had the, you had feelings of pessimism, and then you realize, like, is this just a show? Judge is smirking. This is all too, like, this is teed up. Obviously, he's going to visit the Giants, the one other team that has the money to blow. It has the money to take a risk on somebody entering entering their age 31 season with some injuries on the docket. I know Judge is technically not injury prone, but some freak things have happened to him and teams wouldn't want to take the financial risk. Um, and now I think it just goes to show that Judge played the role. He nailed it. He truly convinced the Giants that they had a chance. And all this was to do was to go back to the Yankees and say, they're offering me this much. This is what I want. I want to be here. Let's make it happen. And he made it happen. So the fact that the Giants players are clinging to their butts right now, so upset, I think drives the point home that Aaron Judge kind of played free agency perfectly. And he didn't really have, and I guess he knew he couldn't make a mistake, right? Because the market was limited. He, it wasn't a situation where you were Corey Seager last year and you were a left-handed hitting shortstop on the market, you were 26 years old, any team throwing 10 years at you was going to get a majority of your prime. This was a little bit different. Um, I think people do have their reservations about the judge contract being nine years because he's it's going to take him into, what, it's age 39 or age 40, and you don't know if he's going to last that long. So judge knew the situation. He played it perfectly, and he hurt some butts along the way. Absurd. Patently absurd. Uh, shows you how different sports media is now, too. I would imagine that in the 50s and 60s, <laughs> people also probably said stuff like this. To, I mean, they didn't say but. No, they, Roger Maris didn't invent butt hurt. But I bet at some point they were like, Roger, the home run chase has got to be great on you. How you feeling? He's like, I'm fucking pissed off. Yeah. And they were like, I'm going to write. He's very upset. Like They used to censor <laughs> these things. And now uh, they're just Logan Webb is like, to be honest, I was really butthurt by Aaron Judge. And the reporter's like, butthurt, that's gold. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to publish it as is. And everybody else is going to aggregate it. Yeah, Logan Webb, uh, sorry. It sounds like you wasted a lot of your time with Aaron Judge. Maybe you shouldn't have fallen for the John Morosi uh, sideshow, little videotape. Like, ooh, what are we doing in the lobby of the hotel? Probably just a family dinner, I think. Like, we, we called Judge out for playing the part. Then we got we got hoodwinked. We got led astray. We got we, the he fooled us. You fooled me. You fooled me, Jerry. He fooled me. <laughs> um, and when he was uh, putting out the Time Magazine thing, coinciding with the Arson Judge Day, I was like, ah, he's a goner. He got me. He did. It took a long time, but he got me. Uh, but at least I wasn't face to face with him. He got Logan Webb face to face, and I feel bad about that. But uh, great job by Aaron Judge. Great job again by his agents. Uh, let's talk about the Blue Jays before we sign off. I don't want to. Uh, and I'm not going to be talking about the Blue Jays very much. Uh, but I do have to hand up. I wrote this article about uh, how their trade for Dalton Varsho doesn't look as good as they think it does. And and how uh, on the surface are we absolutely positive that Dalton Varsho isn't a little overrated? Now, was the article snarky? You bet. You absolutely bet your ass. There's a little bit of snark in there. Of course. And uh, I can't imagine, like, it, it, it made Toronto fans angry. And, and that was kind of part of the point 
right? It, it wasn't supposed to make them happy, or they weren't supposed to see it. And there were also <laughs> some, there were also some salient points made in the in the comments and the debate that ensued. Uh, Dalton Varsho, uh, one of his best traits is his pull, and and the fact that he went pull heavy in the second half of last year ended up having the highest pull percentage of any major league hitter last year. He rededicated himself to doing that. He uh, They moved the right field fence in in Toronto, uh, not for him, but they did do that. So combine his rededication to the pole and maybe end the fences he's about to experience. And maybe it's not so ridiculous that he hit 27 home runs last year. It makes a little bit more sense with the rest of his metrics, why he was able to do that and why he has a good shot at replicating that home run total again next year in Toronto. That said... Does not hit the ball hard. Lower tier in all of those hard hit metrics. Expected batting average in the seventh percentile. Batting average isn't everything, but that doesn't feel good. And and the pull factor isn't factored in there. And and so some of the quality of contact he had, the ball was headed into right field and it was more likely to clear the fence than it would have elsewhere where it wasn't going to fall in for a hit. I know. I understand. But it's the same expected batting average as Josh fucking Donaldson. Okay. Um, then he strikes out a lot, uh, chase rate way up there. He does not walk. He's not an old, he's not a new school ball player. Uh, he doesn't get on base and he doesn't hit for average and he hits for power because he loves to pull, uh, his sprint speed less than impressive. And, uh, one of the things that he's extremely good at is defense. He is a fantastic defensive outfielder last year, though. He was rated the number one defensive outfielder in all of baseball, Defensive metrics are funky. That will not happen again. And if it does, then phenomenal. But the odds are heavily against Alton Varsho being the best outfielder in and defensive player in general next season. Yeah. And, and there's Marcio, yeah, I think he's a good ball player. Yeah. But the profile that adds up has uh Toronto overrating him. Now the problem isn't that I think he's a little overrated and Blue Jays fans think he's not. The problem is. I'm pausing he's a little overrated, and I'm not sure if this trade was the best use of assets. Gabriel Moreno is the fourth best prospect in baseball, according to ESPN's Kylie McDaniel. That is a guy you can trade for basically anyone. You can hold him for the deadline. You mm-hmm. can trade him for pitching if the rotation doesn't work out. Jose Barrios doesn't bounce back. If Ryu and Kikuchi aren't it, if Chris Bassett isn't dominant, if you need the best pitcher on the market, you can trade Gabriel Moreno in a package for that guy. And the Blue Jays decided to deploy him for Dalton Varsho, an outfielder who is probably going to hit 25 homers next year, probably going to be a top-tier defensive outfielder, probably going to hit 230, probably going to get on base at a 285, 290 clip, and isn't going to give – he's not even going to be playing center field because Kevin Kiermeyer is. There's no outfield depth in Toronto. If George Springer goes down, the outfield is Kiermeyer defense first, Varsho defense first, power, very few other offensive tools – and there's nobody else. There's not a fourth guy on the depth chart. They traded Lords Guriel. They traded Teoscar Hernandez. And not that MLB Network's list of top 100 players is a be-all, end-all, but Teoscar Hernandez ranked 83rd entering next season. Varsho ranked 85th. You are willingly sacrificing a better offensive player because you're going all in on defense, and you're believing that Dalton Varsho's offensive metrics don't tell the true story. A lot of people coming at me with his barrel percentage – uh, it was 10.2 last year. Josh Donaldson's was 9.8. Josh Donaldson's offensive profile and Dalton Varsho's offensive profile line up a lot more than a lot of people want to admit. 
and Donaldson is regressing. Varsho is, you know, probably progressing, but did he hit his offensive peak? Uh, the metrics certainly seem to indicate that he may hit a few more homers. He may hit a few fewer homers, but there wasn't a lot under the hood indicating he's about to start ripping the ball harder than ever, which he was not doing last year. Donaldson is also a defensive ace. I, I don't I don't know. Like, obviously, Dalton Varsho, I'd rather have on my team than Josh Donaldson, but stark that the barrel percentages are so similar. Uh, Toronto fans did not take this assertion well, that there might have been a better use of their resources and that Varsho may be a tad overrated. Again, all I'm saying was that I'm not positive this was the best use of resources and that Varsho is is quite an exceptional 30-30, 35-30 type top 10 player in the game talent yet. Uh, and I'm not sure, and they're sure that he's going to be that next year. They are positive. It's like they, they act like the future has already happened. And the discourse, the was, the discourse was extremely toxic over uh, a conversation that could have honestly boiled down to, I don't believe in Dalton Varsho as much as you do. Uh, that's great. Let's agree to disagree. And you can come back to this tweet at the end of the year if he has an unbelievable season. Uh, they would not take uh, any word against their guy. And they were just basically claiming like it was over already. Uh, and ignoring the fact that you could maybe trade Moreno for somebody else uh, who fills more of a need. Uh, I would have just signed Brandon Nimmo. I don't know about you. Yeah, I... <laughs> I think um, this is a relevant topic because we talked about uh, kind of the pitfalls of overpaying for Dalton Varsho. We wanted Dalton Varsho at one point because the Yankees needed an extra outfielder um, and he was rated highly defensively. Um, and once again, it was a situation where, hey, let's gauge the trade market, see what the asking price is. If it's idiotic, then we're out. It's kind of what happened with the Brian Reynolds situation. The Pirates want a lot, and they should want a lot. Yeah. Brian Reynolds is an established major leaguer um, with multiple all-star caliber seasons under his belt. Um, Dalton Varsho has played in 283 career games, um, and he uh, played one full season, which was last year, and it was a good season. It was still, um, I think, you know, the power's there, the defense is there. I know folks don't care that much about average, but career 306 OBP – not getting on base a whole lot. Um, like you said, not hitting the ball entirely hard. Um, outfield, once again, folks, the most expendable position in the sport. It's not taking away anything that outfielders do. Outfielders are great. I like them. I used to play outfield when I was younger. Um, I was not that great at it, so I, I can sympathize. But it's the easiest position to acquire. It's There are the most outfielders in the sport, and you definitely do not need to trade an asset as great as Gabriel Moreno for two reasons. One, Varsho is on par with kind of the potential of Moreno, right? He has this one season under his belt. He was never high, this highly rated as a prospect as Moreno was. Um, and he managed to drill 27 homers last year. Awesome. Proven himself on defense despite catching most of his time in the minors. That's a great transition. Like, could be a very good player. You're throwing your eggs in this in this person's basket after one good season, and there were still concerns about the good season based on some peripheral stats and even from some regular counting stats that you could see on a baseball reference page. Then you go in terms of the use of resources. Catcher is a valuable, valuable asset. 
regardless if it's a major league talent or if it's a minor league talent. And they have three great they have three. When they had Moreno, they had a top 10 prospect in all of baseball and McDaniel's the high man, and he's got him at four. They've got Danny Jansen, who had a better season than I think most of us noticed yeah. last year, uh, was basically Jose Trevino plus, like a really good offensive and defensive catcher. And he's their backup because Alejandro Kirk is the best offensive catcher in baseball right now. And I don't think that's taking it a bridge too far. So you got to trade Moreno, but he is probably the most valuable trade asset prospect wise in the game of baseball, unless the Yankees are surrendering Anthony Volpe, which they're not. So that's the curve we're grading this trade on. It's you've got to trade him. You have to, you can't keep three all-star level catchers and, and one who is assessed this highly is a better it's better to trade Moreno than to flip Jansen for like Brendan Donovan of the Cardinals or, or some like the Cardinals that interested yeah. Danny Jansen at some point. And they held on to the veteran backstop and they traded Moreno. That makes all the sense in the world, but not totally sold on the player. And, and I would not have traded Anthony Volpe for him, which is what the Blue Jays did. The Yankees have multiple shortstops. They have Volpe, Peraza, Trey Sweeney, Glaber Torres has to play in the middle infield. They have a ton of people. DJ Layu, they have to jam people in the middle infield. Anthony Volpe right now doesn't have a role, so you can make the same argument that the Yankees should have traded him this offseason. However, the Yankees are going to make room for Anthony Volpe, and if I'm going to trade him, it's not going to be for Dalton Varsha. Yeah, this this had to be, like, Moreno's your ace in the hole. If worse comes to worse and you need an asset that you didn't think you needed. This is a prospect. You, this is a catcher who hits for average. When was the last time we saw, I mean, obviously he didn't get a whole lot of time in the majors, but 25 games, he batted 319 across his time in the minors. He hit 310, 253 games. Um, he was so good at triple a last year that that's how he did 315 with an 806 OPS. He doesn't entirely hit for power, but he's a good defensive catcher and he hits for average. So I guess the trade-off here was we already have a power-hitting catcher. We need another outfielder because we kind of affected our um, offense on that front when we traded Teoscar Hernandez. Um, but Lords Gurriel Jr. is a better hitter than Dalton Varsho when he's healthy. The only reason Gurriel Jr. had a down year last year was because I think he dealt with shoulder issues or a lat issue or something. He was hindered by injuries. He only hit five home runs, but year prior, 21 homers, 84 RBIs. Year before that, in the short in 2020, 11 homers, 33 RBIs. Year before that, 20 homers, 50 RBIs. OPS, 869 in 2019, 882 in 2020, 785 in 2021. All above average OPS pluses. So that's a proven asset that you've had. And I understand he's been hindered. You know, he only played 84 games in 2019. He had a full, he had full seasons in the short in 2020. And then in the, in the regular 2021. But this is a guy who's an established veteran who can hit for power and also hit for average. And then you're acquiring Varsho. I guess you're believing, look, there's a reason the Diamondbacks sold him. They sold him as high as they possibly could. And they found, they found a buyer who was willing to swap the assets that they wanted, whether they believe uh, they have a surplus in the outfield as well. So maybe they were sitting there and they're like, well, this is the asset that we want to part with. So let's do it. But at that same time, the peak is there for Varsho, you know, how much higher is he going to go? 27 home runs last year. 
incredible defensive metrics, is he going to get even better? Is he going to hit 35 home runs? Is he going to get even better on defense? Is he going to hit 35 home runs? Is he going to, is he going to OPS above like his career averages across 283 career games are 234 average, 738 OPS, 103 OPS plus. Um, yes, the, 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 the defensive metrics are still good across those games too. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Look, this could work out. We could be idiots, but yes. we're not even, we're not even saying the trade was lost. We're just wondering why you would trade a top, a potential top five prospect in all baseball for an expendable position when you already had, once again, you had players that could handle the corner spots. Um, and you could assign Kevin Kiermeyer anyway to play center field. And there was relief help on the market that you could have gotten without having to trade with the Mariners or, um, without having to do did they make another trip without having to be why do you sign chad green if you need relief help he can't pitch this year so um you know we watch a lot of blue jays baseball so we know and i don't think it's crazy to question this trade because when varsha was on the market we were sitting here worried that the price was going to be exorbitant because of the year he just had because of the fact that his transition i guess from catcher to outfield was a smashing success and he's a gold gold caliber outfielder now and he also the bat came around and he was able to barrel enough to put the 27 homers out of the park, which, you know, now all of a sudden you're a major asset because you can hit for power and you can field it at above average level. So um, I just don't know if this is something that is short lived. I don't think anybody knows that this is one full season of it. How many one full seasons have you seen of a player where it's been incredible? And then you have three seasons of garbage or you just, you we just experienced it with Glaber Torres, guys. 2018-2019 were awesome, and 2019-2022 were totally whatever. So Glaber Torres was on his way to superstardom, not not even four years ago. And now he's trade bait. And that's a middle infielder where that's where that's where a ton of the value comes in. You're a middle infielder, you and you play good defense there. That's that's a premier asset to have. Now we're talking about an outfielder, a corner bowl. Now a corner outfielder because he's probably not going to be playing center field. I just don't know. I don't know. I would have saved Moreno or I would have traded him for something that I think was maybe more pressing. People would have clowned on us if we traded Anthony Volpe for Dalton. 100%. That's, 100%. Absolutely the, the unspoken code here. Like, And also, this is not an unbiased conference. This is Blue Jays fans coming at us. This is not rational data observers being like i actually think you're wrong this was blue jays fan swarming um but like you look literally everywhere you look fan graphs wrote a great column on dalton varsho and how he's underrated for getting bunt base hits how it drags down his hard hit metrics but he's often safe in the process even that article was like the offensive outcomes for dalton varsho are extremely unpredictable at this point he could be he could take a step forward he could take a significant step back and there's a lot not to like in the profile Fangraphs is allowed to say it, apparently. Yankees website, not allowed to say that. Um, it also is confusing <laughs> to me. Uh, we we had people policing what Yankee fans are allowed to complain about Frankie Montas last week. We had Blue Jay fans policing what Yankee fans are allowed to complain about this week. I, we tried to diffuse things, sort of self-deprecatingly tweeted about how the Yankees know what it's like for trade acquisitions not to work out, to regress. And Blue Jays fans turned that into another referendum on, like, you don't know what a bad trade is. Our trades are worse than yours. Like, as if only, you know, don't you guys listen? You guys have been calling Yankees fans out for Yankees trades for weeks, months, years. You've been calling out the Frankie Montas trade. You've been calling out the Sonny Gray trade. And a Yankee fan says our trades have been bad and that's crossing a line. We're not allowed to say that. Like, 
only you're allowed to clown on Yankee fans for their trades. If a Yankee fan is like, we made some trade mistakes, you're like, a Yankee fan playing the victim card. Embarrassing. It's not embarrassing. It's saying that our trades have been terrible. It's exactly what you're saying. I just don't understand why the Blue Jays are allowed to create a hole in the outfield by trading Hernandez and trading Gurriel and, and use their best trade asset to fill a hole that did not need to be created with someone who's projected to be worse offensively than Teoscar Hernandez next year. I understand it's all defense. It's all defense. But without George Springer, the outfield might be, in fact, all defense. And you need some offense out there, too. Teoscar Hernandez. It's team control, too. They get Varsho for a while at a good price. Who's in the acting small market? Like, yeah. How about you keep Var? How about you trade Moreno for Varsho and keep Teoscar Hernandez? Yeah. How, how about you do that? Because you're, you know, oh, we're not going to be able to re-sign Teo. Aren't you trying to win the World Series this year? Don't you want as much offense as you can possibly get instead of training for a guy with a 300 on base percentage who doesn't, who just pulls balls, loops balls over the right field fence, and our uh, team that missed the playoffs. Yeah. Well, basically, they, they technically made the playoffs. I mean, they missed, I'm sorry, missed the playoffs two years ago and then got embarrassed in this year's playoffs. Yes. Um, and by the team that you traded to Oscar Hernandez to and made yeah. them better. Yeah, you know what? I'm actually – I would like to know what the defensive rankings for all the teams were. Because, look, if the Blue Jays – Blue Jays ranked highly offensively, they were probably, what, a top five offensive team, right? Absolutely. Every year. Yeah. And they were, according to – Defensive run save, they were eighth in the league last mm-hmm. year with 44 defensive runs saved. So I mm-hmm. guess if that was there, the Yankees were first with 129. That can't be. <laughs> what a bunch of assholes. Um, yeah, I mean, look, if the Blue Jays wanted to – to me, the Blue Jays' calling card is the fact that they kick ass on offense. That's what I'm jealous of. That's what I wish the Yankees were on a more consistent basis sometimes. Um, so this is this is more so of a compliment because we're like, your identity is mashing and you have these guys who mash and you have these guys who are relentless. And I think I think two of the most frustrating players on this team outside of George Springer, who pisses off Yankees fans to no end, and outside of the obvious candidates of Bo Bichette and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the next two frustrating players were Teoscar Hernandez and Lawrence Gurriel Jr. Every time they fucking came up and got a big hit, you're like, how do they keep doing this? How do they have these guys who are coming in, they're hitting for average, they're hitting for power, they're getting clutch hits in these big spots? Like, what is going on? How does this keep happening? And that, to me, was like the essence of the Blue Jays and why they made me so angry and why they were able to kind of get under the Yankees skin so much is because they never really went away. And I think that this deal and the, the moves that they made this offseason sacrificed that aspect of their identity. I guess they needed a change because whatever they're doing clearly has not been enough. Um, but then again, you could point back to, um, you know, the the inability of the pitching to deliver for them in, in the playoffs or down the stretch over the last couple of years. Um, so maybe they deem that the problem. I don't know. But um they made the changes. It is what it is. I think it's fair that we can question them because we had the same reservations as Yankees fans being involved in this market for literally the exact same thing. We need outfield help. We need defense help. We also need a little bit of offensive help. So we're looking at the same things here. And we were worried about the trade market and overpaying. And we were talking ad nauseum about Brian Reynolds because that was who everybody wanted. But we sat here for months and said, that's probably not realistic. Brian Cashman doesn't overpay. Do you also want to give up like, 
six years of control of what could be elite prospect play for a, a left fielder or a center fielder, you're going to move to left field and then jerk back over to center field if you don't re-sign Harrison Bader. So like there's a lot of moving parts here and things are always complicated, but that's my thing with, I guess, criticizing the bar show trade. It wasn't really a criticism. It was just saying, Hey, top five prospect for an outfielder. Who's I guess technically not going to be playing the premier position that he proved to be really good at last year. And you're getting worse on offense. I don't know how that makes sense. Talk to me about it instead of calling me an asshole. Sign Brandon Nimmo, sign Masataki Yoshida. Can't believe I'm saying this, but I'll be rooting for Yoshida over Varsho next year. <laughs> it took so much to get me here. So much, oh, but I'm yeah. here now. Uh, don't create holes and then use your best assets to fill them. It's like that's just not something that you should do. You should not You should not take a 30-homer bat out of your lineup, fill his position with your best trade asset. Expend it to, to make that happen and get that just done. Saying. I don't know. I, the Yankees did it. You'd be laughing at it. And if I said, well, what a bad trade by the Yankees, you'd say, oh, Yankee fan playing the victim complex. <laughs> Yankee fans I guess there's no point in being online at any point. Want to make the online space a less toxic place, but it's really, really, really hard uh, when other fan bases just absolutely uh, – you, you're hanging that ju- – it's not like we're baiting them. You're hanging that juicy worm like 40 feet above their heads, hoping they don't see it. And then they see it and they build a ladder to climb up and get it and slobber all over your line. Uh, and they really took, they really took the bait that wasn't even intended as bait. It was a very unpleasant week. And I hope it never happens again. Uh, anything else you want to chat about before we sign off? We just got our super, I just got my Super Bowl boxes. And I got to say four for the Eagles, one for the chiefs. 21, 14. That's not a third. That's a third quarter. 24, 21. Yeah, 24-21. That's a third quarter score if I've ever heard one. I think 34-31. That's a fourth 34-31's quarter. 34-31's a final score if I've ever heard one. That's that's how you make the big money. I, I can't be unhappy about that. Uh, you got a pick heading into the big game or uh, staying agnostic? Because I do think uh, I think the Eagles edge it out. I think it's like a 31-28 or something. Yeah, I could see that. I am don't I don't have a prediction. I'm just rooting for the Chiefs. I think that's that's really all I can. That's really all I can muster up right now. Um, on paper, I think the Eagles are the team. Um, this clip came out today. Rob, I don't know why Robbie Gold was talking about defense, but the 49ers kicker, but he was talking about how if you force Jalen Hurts to play quarterback, you could be in a good position. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I think that if he doesn't have his legs to create plays and he becomes a pocket passer, I think for any mobile quarterback that becomes – with, with the exception of who, maybe Josh Allen and uh, Patrick Mahomes, I think that that's, it's difficult when Jalen Hurts forever. We've watched him for how long? Since he was with Alabama, his calling card was running, and he still runs incredibly, and he still throws off defenses incredibly with his ability to extend plays or you know keep his receivers moving, get it, getting outside the pocket, shedding tackles, whatever it is. If you put a good spy on him, and I think the Chiefs do have the defensive personnel to potentially do it. I think if you chop half of his game away from him in the running phase, then, yeah, it creates a little bit more of a one-dimensional offense for as a guy as creative as Nick Sirianni is on offense. I think that hinders a lot what he could do. So I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. And all Eagles fans are like, oh, 49ers are just – did they say butthurt? I should actually look. They probably did. They probably called the Probably told 49ers fans or fans and players were butthurt for losing the NFC Championship game, but um, that's it's really not a crazy assessment. Jalen Hurts has, yes, played in 
high leverage games. This is his first Super Bowl. The Eagles are this is their uh, third Super Bowl ever. Um, and this is a completely, pretty much a completely different team from the last one that won, that went to the Super Bowl when they beat the Patriots. So um, the Chiefs have a lot of personnel that have been here. Um, they have a nucleus that has largely stayed the same for quite some time. I understand they have injuries on the offensive end, um, especially in the wide receiver game. But look, they lost Tyree Kill and Patrick Mahomes still won MVP. They lost Tyree Kill and they still had a top three offense in the league. So um, I don't think that saying some of these things are as as crazy as they might sound. Um, and I think the Chiefs says, oh, look, it's tough to make a pick here because I think either team could be the favorite. But if you're asking me from a betting perspective, I'm not taking the I'm not I'm not taking the Eagles as favorites. I'm not passing on the Chiefs as underdogs. It's 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 crazy to do that. Like you got to live. If you're thinking from if you're thinking from a money-making standpoint, are you really going to bet against Patrick Mahomes when you can get plus odds on him? I, I'm not. Um, do I think the Eagles deserve to be favorites? I think there's an argument to be had. I think they have, on paper, a, a very deep and solid team, or a very deep and elite team, but um, all it comes down to is matchups in the Super Bowl, in the playoffs. You guys know. You watch enough football. One game, one game plan changes everything. If you have to change your entire game plan in the middle, in the middle of a – in the middle of a high stakes contest like this, it really screws with you. So who knows what's going to happen? Um, I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be high scoring. Um, it's probably going to be a situation where whoever has the ball last, this is it. It would be weird for the chiefs, these chiefs to not have two Super Bowls under their yeah, belt. Really? Two is not many. Uh, I would say three, like uh, when Mahomes won his first one, what's the over under like two and a half for his career. And you pound that over, right? Yeah. He's still stuck on one. Uh, so I would say the over when he makes his first Super Bowl is probably two and a half. And when he wins that Super Bowl, it's probably three and a half. And we're still waiting on number two. So uh, you know what I watched the other day that was a deeply upsetting game that I needed to get back in my memory? Because it's like it was such a blur when it happened. Was the 13 seconds left game when the Bills took the lead with 13, literally dumbest, dumbest game I ever watched and gave the chiefs two more plays. It was so much dumber than I even remembered. It was just touchdown, 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 touchdown in the final three and a half minutes. Gabe Davis caught four touchdowns. Yeah. In that uh, and every time he was hitting the end zone, he was wide open and still 13 seconds with a minute three remaining. The chiefs took a lead. The bills had to drive down the field. They did in under a minute hit Gabe Davis again. Just needed one stop, and and it's Kelsey wide up the wide up the middle of the field, uh, and Tyreek Hill caught one too. It's just the easiest. A crazy screen pass to Tyreek Hill. Screen pass to Tyreek Hill. Kelsey right beyond the marker, and he runs in a field goal range. It was like you should not be able to do that with 35 seconds remaining, let alone 13. Yeah, uh, and, and it was even crazier in retrospect than I remember. It's crazy though that the Chiefs had that happen to them and did not make or win the Super Bowl last year. So. Uh, doing it without Tyreek Hill is very impressive. I, I hope the Chiefs win for obvious reasons. I still sort of think the Eagles are going to edge on by. Uh, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap this up? No, I think that's it. I think it's time to enjoy the weekend, get prepped for the Super Bowl, relax, get ready for spring training. It's all it's all about to come. It's all coming. It's all coming together, folks. It's all happening. We'll see you next week. Hopefully, with more news, we'll be back on Monday and Thursday, two o'clock Eastern, normal time. You won't miss us. And if you do miss the feed, though, for any reason, if you're not subscribed and subscribe right now, please behoove you. You can get the audio feed on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And you guys are coming. We see you. We see the numbers going up every week as the season 
uh, is right around the corner. It's like the numbers were big in December. Everyone wanted to hear about Arson Judge and Carlos Rodon. January, not so much. Not bad, but not so much. February, we'd be ticking back up. So please show up next week. Uh, subscribe on your favorite audio feed or subscribe on the YouTube channel or both. You can find me on Twitter at Adam Weiner. Thomas Carinante, where can the people, uh, specifically not Canadians, find you? I'm at Tommy's underscore takes. We are both at the Yanks Go Yard Twitter account at Yanks Go Yard FS. Uh, you no, not, a lot not us. We, it's not us on that account. <laughs> a lot of you have been there. We are both there. You can get us there. A lot of you have been there enjoying your time. So I guess keep it up. Um, we're having fun. Uh, head on over to yanksgoyard.com. Lots of content there, um, especially gearing up for spring training. We're gonna have some. Uh, we're gonna have some nice uh, lists for you next week, looking ahead to what's what's gonna happen and w- what we think is going to happen. Um, and until then, we'll talk to you Monday. Enjoy your weekend. Happy Super Bowl, and we'll see you Monday. See you Monday. Let's go Chiefs. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.